to the Injury Men podcast. Um, I'm joined again by the co-host, Paul Head, and myself, Ben Austin. Um, thanks for everyone that's been listening. Um, we've had a really great response from everyone. And um, again, we've had some great questions coming in. So um, today's podcast is, is based on one of those questions that we thought was going to be a, a really good talking point for us. And also, more importantly, going to give some real life um, explanations and understanding around how to manage your injuries. And, and today we're talking about more acute injuries. Um, so acute injuries is obviously um, how you can manage an injury in the very first instances of when it happens as opposed to a, a long-standing injury although some of those principles will still apply um, so Paul um, what question do we have today so I say welcome everyone so this is from Kate Morrison and she said I did some heel sprints and felt pain at the back of my thigh what's the best way to treat this so first off running injuries and going up in the location at the back of the thigh would most likely indicate a hamstring sort of muscle injury. And Ben will know why I chose this question in particular for today, because this is a particular interest of mine, the acute management of muscle injuries. So traditionally, when we have, when we look at acute management, people tend to follow the RICE protocol. So rest, ice, compression, elevation. However, a few years ago, people proposed a police paradigm, which is protection, optimal loading, ice compression and elevation as a better way to sort of work it. Because I find, I don't know if you're the same, that when the general public get a bit of pain or muscle injury, they take rest very literally and will not move a single inch. But the, the rest period will be really prolonged gen like almost sometimes a few weeks of not moving even after sort of a muscle injury but we know that any period of rest especially muscular wise every day that you're in in bed or not moving at all you can lose up to so i think it's like one to three percent of muscle mass and strength but that would take weeks and weeks to get back and it's trying to sort of limit that muscle loss which is sort of takes a lot longer to get back again so in terms of me the best way i would manage it is using the police paradigm but i would take away the elevation part of it as well and if possible add electrotherapy so namely neuromuscular electrical stimulation on that point from us we we know what that neuromuscular electrical stimulation is what um for for most people out there how would that how would that look what is that and, and what's the benefits of that Neuromuscular electrical stimulation or electrical stim, just to sort of save me getting tongue-tied all the time. People have ever seen those ab belts on TV or the Cristiano Ronaldo ab belt that goes around your waist. So that, so that is using electrical current and the electrodes are then placed on the muscle to get the muscle to cause a contraction, um, but sort of artificial contraction. But those ab belts themselves, they don't do anything. But medically, we've used the electrical stim for sort of muscle injuries and sort of pre and post surgery as well quite a lot but basically it just causes the muscle to contract and by it maintaining the contraction level the cellular mechanisms within the muscle shows that it's active so basically rather than it losing muscle mass and strength during those periods the contraction creates the cellular environment to sort of maintain that muscle mass and strength there that's yeah. better but the electrical stim 
it follows a diff it's a different contraction to a normal muscle contraction mm. so you don't just want to be doing electrical stimulation all the time and to be honest especially those ad bell adverts on tv they talk and they talk about increasing tone which i just hate as a phrase because tone is something you'd get after a stroke you wouldn't so in terms of muscle you either got muscle mass or you don't have it so you either tone with more muscle or less muscle but that's yeah. another question altogether yeah. um but but, <laughs> but electrical stimulation yeah you can use it immediately so we're looking at providing it immediately after muscle injury so you can physically rest as an individual so you can sit there you can have the electrical stimulation over the muscle so away from where the tear is to reduce the amount of atrophy and strength loss that we sort of spoke about earlier during that period because you want and you do want a period of total immobilization as well after sort of most injuries and generally what what we tend to recommend is having at least two days of just totally sort of shutting it down so like non-weight bearing not moving it because we know that the cellular processes that help sort of knit that tear back together, they're not starting until at least sort of the end of the second day. Yeah. So you don't yeah. want to be doing any movement there, even if it's pain free, because the mechanism, the just physiologically, you're, you're going to cause damage, even though you might not be able to feel it as well. And that's definitely what I find after a hamstring issue is you might feel pain there, but the pain might subside quite quickly. But if you have a period of immobilization to limit the atrophy that you get, if you apply the electrical stimulation there, it's yeah. going to be a method. And what the electrical stimulation does as well, it reduces the amount of swelling or what we'd call edema that occurs there. And the bigger issues after an injury are the swelling reduces the amount of, and that causes you to be weaker or more painful, mainly driven by the swelling. Yeah. So if we can apply the electrical stimulation straight away, we can reduce the amount of muscle wastage and strength declines that we see. We can see redu reductions in the amount of swelling that we get as well, which will help sort of the muscle to function better. Yeah. And ice gets a bit of a bad rap. So in the in sort of the medical world, you have a few binary camps of people who are either ice everything all the time or never use ice and the theory is that ice delays the healing by slowing down the amount of nerve transmission to that muscle mm. uh, especially the first couple of days after a muscle injury i tell people to apply ice purely because it's good at reducing pain yeah. and ice is a as a non-medical pain relief is probably one of the best things we have really yeah and obviously, it's, it's it's widely used. It's widely available. Um, it it encourages that mindset, I guess, that you're talking about in the first couple of days of of, of protecting it, but being able to do something that's going to help ultimately settle the pain and then help you get moving when you need to. And I so yeah, so generally when I'm talking about ice applications, don't know if you're the same. Maybe I tell people to do sort of five to ten minute sessions with it on, but I tell people to get sort of ice or frozen peas, put them in a, wrap it in a damp cloth and then put that onto the area. Because basically the damp cloth is shown to sort of make the, the ice sort of stimulus go a bit deeper down in the muscle rather than on the surface and it prevents sort of any skin irritation as well. Yeah, I've seen that as well. Uh, I, definitely yeah. I think a lot of people would 
um, don't get enough benefit because it doesn't get into the into the tissue deep enough as you've just said so I, I find that people as well after they do their kind of damp cloth and and, and crushed ice works quite well because it conforms to that sort of area as well but in the absence of that people going out and buying crushed ice uh, i find that peas frozen peas works well to do the same thing yeah no absolutely and and to be honest people can apply that every hour that they were awake if they wanted to yeah. just as a sort of a pain reliever if it's feeling angry or sore and the sort of the compression element to it is so like for a, a hamstring or sort of we're sort of guessing it's hamstring but back of the fire would link to it that you want to sort of compress that area so maybe wearing like cycling shorts or sort of like shorts like that or sort of a bandage wrapped around again especially for those first two to three days especially mm. but compression will have what it does is it makes the no, it makes the pressure inside the tissue higher so that when the swelling comes along, it doesn't want to sort of filter back into it. Yeah. So it just makes that space smaller to sort of prevent the sort of the swelling to go into it. Mm. But what the compression does as well, it has a bit of a pain relieving effect as well. Mm. But it, it will just protect the sort of the healing tissue by bounding it together to again allow those cellular processes to sort of help sort of bridge that gap yeah a bit more but yeah definitely there's like, no do for compression as well isn't it like obviously people wear skins a lot or they wear compression leggings and things like that and that's something that um in my work in in professional sport we encourage as a as a sort of passive recovery method anyway is after sort of a an intense bout of exercise you, you would always get some form of compression on on your legs to help with that that drainage as you were talking about then of any kind of waste products and metabolites that are in the in the tissues that have been worked um yeah in terms of that would you always do a whole leg compression if you're looking at recovery or does it really yeah does that ideally, matter ideally yes especially if someone's played sport if we if we're looking at this question that came in on the the injury on the back of the thigh well if they don't have access to a, a full compression legging like like a normal pair of kind of running leggings then yeah cycling shorts work well or even just a, a towel wrapped round quite tight yeah. that level of compression you, it doesn't have to be fancy i know in elite sport and professional sport you, people may have seen on social media they've got these big um kind of compression garments that are like a sort of a game ready or a, a normal tech on that, that might give that intermittent compression those are the sort of the maybe the gold standard and but they are very expensive and it doesn't have to be big and fancy like that for an injury if you're at home for the average person who doesn't have access to those it can be anything that gives a little bit of compression that will help yeah and regarding compression so would you so i generally just recommend people just to wear sort of the compression stock like all the time like in bed if it's comfortable sort of thing Mm. um but obviously like practically if people are using a towel or something then maybe if at night they wouldn't want to do it but i don't mean it's one of those it's good to do but i don't think it's the being all end or if sort of just logistically it gets a bit awkward yeah um, i think we always want to head for a best case scenario but i think some people really get caught up in the in the like minute details of it and really, you, you just want to do the best case scenario. So you want to ice as often as you possibly can practically. It doesn't, some people may have the time at the moment during lockdown to do every hour 
um, and they may be able to wear compression leggings. But when people start going back to work and um, say ladies that, that are wearing skirts, things like that, they might not be able to. So um, definitely stick to the best case scenario and optimize that recovery in the early stages as we're talking about. Because we're talking about sort of the first sort of two or three days of an injury, aren't we? Here? So, um, do as much as you can. Yeah, I think that's where these definitely the ice and compression tends to be a bit more important those first few days yeah. after a couple of days of not moving at all if you can get the electrical stim that would be really good but if not just a couple of days of, sort of mobilization and then after that you're looking more into sort of pain-free movements or whatever you can do mm. but i think what most people forget is they can work their other leg or their arms uh, as hard as they want in these periods as well that's a really important distinction because i i think um what i've seen in clinic is people have have got the, the rice principles in mind and the first one on there is rest so what they tend to do if they come to see me if there's either a waiting list or they haven't sought out a physio treatment straight away is as you said sort of three or four weeks down the line and sometimes even more they've rested completely so that's no upper body work no core work barely any walking not even thinking about cycling or swimming or anything and obviously they're doing that because they don't want to do anything that might make things worse but what what we're saying to people is 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 yes there are some serious injuries where you, you need to get screened straight away but that's sort of pain where you're getting someone's run up a hill like in our question from Kate, doesn't it? Um, she, she's, yeah. she's got that that thigh pain. Look, it's not going to be a, a life-threatening injury here. You can you can still walk and 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 obviously after our ideal two days of kind of offloading it a little bit and do other things. Um, it's fine to do other things. It's it's not absolute bed rest. Yeah, and that's that's where I like the sort of the new police paradigms. It has that optimal loading part onto it, yeah. but. The optimal loading, yeah, it encompasses what you're doing to the injured limb. But, but yeah, like it's quite a lot of research showing that if you work the other side heavy, that there is a bit of a carryover in strength into the other side. Yeah. And definitely like cardio-wise, I think as soon as someone's leg gets injured, I think cardio tends to go out the window because sort of the mainstays of cardio tend to be, you know, like running, like running and cycling definitely at the moment even something like rowing mm. but i remember my time in rugby was whatever you so people would come in with sort of a, in a boot where they've broken their leg but they're in the rowing machine on one leg yeah like doing that like full pelt I'm and it's all for that i think it's brilliant yeah. um, and i think we need do need to learn some lessons from elite sport where obviously they have access to supervised physio sessions but you see some great examples in, in, in elite sport of people who are sat there and they're doing, they've got a boot on, as you say, and they're doing battle ropes or people are doing um, boxing with pads and, and they're not moving around. They're just kind of using their upper body. And, and what that is showing is not that they necessarily have to be doing those types of things. It can be anything, but they're just trying to keep some movement going because not only does that um, keep your cardio, but also mentally it makes you feel like you're still moving. You're still doing something. You're not, dropping fitness level so from a mental well-being perspective as well it's massive from an injury to to go from the opposite end of the scale that we're talking about people resting three four weeks not doing anything 
and then we're trying to up all their exercise as physios when they come into the clinic three, four weeks later. Whereas if someone's coming in and they've been doing their upper body, they've been doing their core, they've, they're still in that mindset of exercise and, and, and keeping themselves going. Also empowers them, doesn't it? Yeah, and they feel like they're doing something. Yeah, especially when you're sort of used to doing a lot of activity. Yes. And some people go a bit stir crazy if then it's just sort of is totally taken away. Yeah. I mean, something like swimming is a really good option for this type of issue as well. I think I got open water swimming back back going here in the UK. But um again that that just takes there's just like physics wise, it's just so less of a sort of physical demand in terms of what that hamstring has to do compared to sort of anything on your legs yeah. that you're doing. But I mean for optimal loading it's it's hard to do now without sort of supervision, but something I would recommend in that phase is using blood flow restriction during sort of all your tasks. So this can run through cardio stuff to your body weight work and then as you sort of up in the resistance on the exercise to use combine it with the blood flow restriction. But yeah, obviously people need to be supervised with this and clinics maybe open soon or not, don't know. So for the general public, I wouldn't sort of suggest that now they're trying things, but definitely in terms of exercises, you could start with generic sort of body weight work, mm. just as comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, but for a hamstring classic is sort of double leg glute bridge, isn't it? Yeah. Just to the very like just sort of doing it as as pain like pain is your guide in the start just to know and you sort of want to just monitor the response as well so if it then starts getting pretty angry or sort of that pain's increasing it's getting a bit hot there bruises are really coming out then and sort of things aren't settling and you got stuff affecting you in the evening then you're probably working it too much um so it's just sort of being wary having pain as a guide initially because again with pain it's it's just so many factors at play with pain itself. But when you've got an acute muscle injury, it's a lot closer linked to sort of muscle damage as well, rather than sort of longer you've had it. Yeah. And give um, a bit of an insight into what you're talking about there with so many factors of pain without going into too much detail, because pain is an enormous topic. But what we're saying is that using pain as your guide generally in injury is not a good thing to do because it's a very insensitive measure. It's very subjective person to person. People have different experiences of pain and it can be worse when your injury is associated with trauma. It can be worse associated with, um, say, one of your family members has had a similar type of injury and maybe they had a terrible experience. And so people experience these things at a very different level because pain is produced in the brain. Um, yes, what we're saying is, is that in the early phases, though, there is, there is a real cause and effect and you've run up a hill, you're experiencing some posterior thigh pain on the, on the back of your leg, then yeah, you probably should listen to that a little bit if you're pushing a bit too hard in the early sort of phases, sort of day one to day three, four, maybe, Paul? Yeah, sort of after that, after that first, to be honest, the first few days, I just could not get them to move that leg, but... Yeah. Again, in that first couple of days, if you want to do some bicep curls or anything, and <laughs> crack on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Definitely. But after, yeah, it's it's almost like you you want it to sort of as pain allows. So you can always like affect the range of motion. So if by reducing the range of motion on what you're doing, it then means that it's pain free. Yeah. Then for me, I'm like, well, that's a green light. Sort of keep going at that sort of with that as well, but. 
again, if you're doing stuff and pain is increasing with every repetition and you reduce the range and it sort of doesn't affect it, then you're probably doing too much. So it's just sort of ease off, back off from there. And almost a response after, because like with muscle injuries and tendon issues, they tend not to show up until maybe a few hours after as well. So sometimes things can feel really good, almost better with the activity that you're doing. Agreed. Yeah. And then a few hours later, it then sort of raises its ugly head a little bit. So it's mm. sort of probably doing about 20% less than you want to, or you feel that you can do just to, to gauge it. Cause it's just a bit of a tightrope that first phase, isn't it? A bit like a bit rocky road. Yeah. And also uh, what you're saying is, is that after those sort of first two days of giving it that area of the body specifically proper rest, compression, um, electrotherapy, um, all of those those types of things. Um, after that, you want to see how it feels to move it. So, say if that is a a, a bridge, um, see how it is at the time. If it, if it is too uncomfortable, um, reduce the range slightly. Um, see how it feels after you've stopped that exercise or that set of exercises. If it's fine after that, good. If it's giving you increased pain and symptoms and swelling and, and whatnot, then maybe you've pushed a little bit too hard, but also see how it is maybe the next day. So it's all about looking at those responses to that amount of exercise, but not throwing in the towel because you see a lot of people that maybe when you haven't explained the exercise or, or those progressions or regressions well enough, um, that, yeah, you've got to explain that doing a little bit less in terms of the movement, so maybe not going as high through the movement or not moving the joint as, as much, um, can still be a good way to start. It's not just, this is the exercise, and if it doesn't go right, then stop it completely. There are changes that you can make, maybe even doing it a bit slower or more controlled will also help. So those types of things can be useful tips, right? Yeah, and again, people sort of forget about the, the muscles above and below the hamstring. So your calf bends the knee a little bit like your hamstring does yeah. and your glutes extend your hip like the hamstrings do. So trying to work all of, like sort of, so again, your hamstring might be strained, but you can do calf raises. So they get that going and yeah. you can sort of, and the, the glute bridge works a little bit both. And then you can sort of adapt it. But like we sort of said in the, in the running episode, the first one, it sort of get, all of your leg stronger and you can take this moment yeah your hamstring might be injured but you could maybe train other things that you probably should have been doing before yeah so as an opportunity to be better at then running and you can look at mechanics and power and strength to then maybe be able to go faster than you was mm. so sorry you can look at it as a bit of a positive rather than sort of the negative aspects that these always come with I think that's huge. I always say to to um, my clients that um, it is an opportunity. As with any any hardship and difficulty, you, you can wallow in the pain, literally in this instance, or you can use it as an opportunity to get better at things that you maybe didn't have time to do before. So where you were running so much or you were cycling so much, you now strengthen up those those areas above and below. And then eventually when the time comes to strengthen that area where there is an issue, you can come back better and come back stronger. It's always an opportunity, not, not a threat. Yeah. Yeah, I think we'll go into this more detail in later episodes, but the mechanics of you sprinting could have led to sort of that issue as well. So it could have been a bit of a deficit in 
strength or power in the muscle itself, but it could have been a sort of a biomechanical issue that yeah. led to it as well. So there are things to sort of tweak on, but yeah, that's that's for another day. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, this, and there's two two things to kind of address here. Obviously, we're trying to give practical advice that people can do on their own, especially during lockdown. But it is important to reiterate, um, not just to to sell our own services. That's not what we're here for. But what I'm saying is, it is better when it's guided by a professional, and that's not necessarily ours. That can that can be in qualified and registered um, physios or, or, or health practitioners that um, these guidelines are there and we use criteria to kind of advise people um, appropriately of the safest and most efficient ways of getting back so do seek the services of, of, of someone who who knows the injury better than you basically um, but to, to kind of go through those again what what we what you've said is is that obviously most people come in and they've got some awareness of the RICE protocol. Um, we're trying to get people to move away from that and use this police protocol. So it might just be useful if we can run through succinctly each one of those again to kind of just top off what we've said, because obviously we're going to go in on We've gone in on each one and we're chatting away, but it's good to, to yeah. run through from the top again. So from protect, really, um, what, what's your kind of big take-home points of, of why it's protect and why it's P and not an R at the start now? Because you want to immobilise for the first two days. Then after those first two days, you can encourage some motion. So I would say sort of pain-free functional tasks and sort of no big reaction. Whereas the rest, it just meant people would just not move. So it's just a bit more of a nuance to it rather than rest means, okay, well, I'm just going to sit here and not move for however many days and weeks. Protect means, okay, well, it encourages a little bit of movement. You're going to protect it by doing what your symptoms allow you to. Um, And then that sort of guides your process as you're going forward. And for me, the protection phase is generally for a muscle injury, it's probably the first week. And then after that, you're looking at sort of heavier tasks definitely so that's the p of of the police procedure we then move on to o and l which is stands for optimal loading now what's what's the uh this is obviously the, the from a physio perspective the, the bit that really is a, a massive update on the rice because the rice doesn't mention anything about actually moving loading and exercising so so what what's the real benefits of the optimal load there? I mean, the optimal loading is just going to reduce the amount of muscle wastage and strength declines and just fitness and everything that we were getting from just total rest. Yeah. So optimal loading for the very low tech and what anyone can do is you can train your other limb, your, arm, your other side, your other legs that aren't affected with whatever you've got available. And the optimal loading will then sort of lead into the protection phase where you sort of move in that area. You can sort of work on the strength and the different range of the motion, just as symptoms allow. But a more high-tech or supervised version, you could use blood flow restriction in that period to really maximise the muscle strength and hypertrophy in those gains. But even if people, they got injured and they just started working the other leg, that would be a massive, a massive progression on just, total rest in itself mm. yeah it's a it's a huge progression um we, we've already spoken um in, in a bit of depth about ice treatment but to, to sum it up succinctly what what would be your take home if some if if a 
client comes to you and is asking about how to use ice properly? Yeah, so ice, like I said, get ice. It can be crushed ice, frozen peas, anything from the freezer. Get a damp cloth, wrap it in, and I'll just place it on the, the painful areas for five to ten minutes as frequently as you want. Um, I'll quickly mention it's every hour that you are awake rather than setting an alarm to wake up in the middle of the night to do it as well. Um, so uh, I, that, and again, I sort of encourage people to use that as, as regularly as they want to really, because there is just no better pain relief that we have. It's not a medication. Um, but yeah, that's generally what I say. Is there anything different that you'd add? No, I think, I think whilst not going off on a too much of a tangent here from what you've just said about waking up in the middle of the night, that just made me think of also as, as part of this police procedure. Yes, we're given these specifics on what the, the P and the O and the L and our I and C and E stand for, but you've got to get your general body homeostasis right. So you've got to get your sleep right. You've got to be eating well. Um, and you've got to be really just thinking about your health in general to optimize recovery. Um, this police procedure is a little bit um, more specific to that muscle injury. But yeah, you've got to be thinking about the bigger picture as well without digressing too much from getting onto the CME. Yeah. So um, that brings us to the, the compression. I think we spoke about this in a lot of depth. I think using leggings and compression garments are great. Um, if you do have things like a cryo cuff or a nice cuff, that can give a nice bit of, bit of compression. But it can be a towel it can be anything that gives a bit more compression is that right yeah and again it's just a compression that's snug rather than tight as well it's just a little bit of something there so yeah don't grab a towel and try and try and sort of strangle your leg as well it's not a tourniquet it's, yeah yeah not <laughs> shutting off the, the it's just something like snug there yeah <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I've been growing in lockdown, so probably all of my shorts will count as compression garments now. But, uh, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I'd, it's just, yeah, something snug that, yeah, you can sort of maintain just to help reduce the amount of swelling that can form in that area as well. And, and finally, the E. E, if we're looking for the... The low tech version of just elevation, which I, yeah, and it's just basically, to be honest, the E for me, the elevation, it doesn't really add and it probably adds more rest to the period that you're thinking you got to elevate it all the time. And the actual elevation, the science behind it was that it reduced the amount of swelling that occurred, but it doesn't do any of that. So to be honest with the E, the low tech version was I just wouldn't bother with with an E. The yeah. pollock instead, but it doesn't sound as nice. <laughs> yeah. But if if possible, if people can use the electrical stimulation, so devices are pretty cheap now, mm. and they can apply it straight away and sort of long term. That it, it can be a bit of well, so you can add it to sort of the exercises to sort of enhance the neural recruitment. But but yeah, applying the electrical stimulation and what I would recommend is you can do two lots of 20 minutes and if people are wary about parameters and stuff like that. I mean, I did a big old talk on this, so I'll put the link up to it. It's like the whole talk for people wanting to sort of go into it. That'd be great. If they've got questions or queries about parameters or what to do, generally I would recommend whatever, if you get a device, there'll be a strength setting on there mm. somewhere. Um, and that generally sort of ticks most of the boxes. So, so yeah, you can place electrodes, around the muscle 
two lots of 20 minutes a day and yeah use the strength setting or just whatever they recommend but that's more of the high tech but otherwise yeah the others sort of tick the boxes yeah and and obviously without we don't have any affiliations or sponsorships from these people yet but the big the big company um out there is compex that do it quite well and there are other electrical stimulation units um available um and they are really easy to use and and uh, you've I, I spoke to you not that long ago in that clinic that a lot of your clients after you using them with them in the clinic have got their own ones and, and have been able to kind of mimic those same effects themselves when they have had an injury so it's um they are really easy to use yeah for long-term rehab as well it's sort of a bit of a game change really but but yeah you got like in the uk you got neurotrack yeah they're really good they're a bit cheaper yeah they tend to be your main ones really mm. complexes and stuff but um but if people would like more information on those then yeah feel free to reach out yeah drop us a message and that that's the whole point we're here to answer any any questions that, that you guys listening um might have so hopefully that has been useful today thanks paul for obviously your expert knowledge as always um and just another thing to say before i hand over to paul to finish that um yeah make sure you you click subscribe with us and you try and um follow us and, and, and keep abreast of the different podcasts that we're bringing out and they're trying to um do something different each week getting some different people on so we've got some really interesting people lined up that are coming up so um we'll let you know and then fire off your questions to us but um yeah thanks for everyone for listening so far it's been great you know cheers for that mate and so last episode i said that we got an email i mean we're going even more modern now because we've got a twitter and instagram as well i mean 21st century here we come so people if people have questions so yeah like injuries health fitness anything so there's a few ways to get to us. You can go via our website. So it's bfrphysio.com slash podcast. And there's a form. You can email us directly. And that's injurymen at gmail.com. Or you can message us on Twitter and Instagram. And both of those are injury underscore men. If you want to reach us to it. But no, but otherwise, yeah. Sort of if everyone sort of take care of yourselves during this period. Thank you for listening. And this was produced by BFR Physiotherapy Clinic and graphic design was by Nikki Higgins. No, thanks for listening. Cheers, Paul. All right, see you guys soon.